the incomparable. Number 407, May 2018. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the nominees for Best Novel from the Nebula Awards. Now, uh, we usually, we were, we were doing Hugo Awards, and then we did a combo of the Nebula and the Hugo Awards, and this year, I'm separating them. We're going to do two book club episodes, one about the Nebula novels, and the next one about the Hugo Awards, perhaps more than just the novels. Perhaps we'll talk about some short stories and stuff, too. But this is the first of these episodes, and then later uh, in early summer, we'll talk about the Hugos. Um, as we're recording this, I think the Nebulas are about to award the awards, but haven't quite yet. So we don't know who won, but we do know the seven novels nominated for nebulas that's a lot of ends joining me two people who i think read the nebula read the nebula novels nice it's i don't know i'm looking for (laughs) n words here aline sims is here hello hello it was a lot of books it was a lot of books you read all seven i think so i'm looking at goodreads and i'm missing one yeah i i had some goodreads problems too that i had to re go back and like re-rate or rate for the first time even though i thought i already rated it because goodreads uh i have some issues with the goodreads web interface but uh that's not what this podcast is about (laughs) scott mcnulty is also here hello hello i i use the uh goodreads ios app so i I don't use the web interface so scott did you uh read all seven I did. I did indeed. I, uh, I had only read one before the nominees were announced and then I read the six quickly thereafter. All right. Well, this is, I, I just want to point out to listeners, this is first off unprecedented in that we have 100% <laughs> of the books covered by 100% of the panelists. Mm. So hooray for us, the three of us. Well, that's right. We're the best panelists. I'll, I'll give credit to Erica Ensign, who said she, there was no way she was going to be able to read all the books, so she just said, I'll see you at the Hugo uh, <laughs> Hugo episode, which is typical for a Hugo nominee. Ugh. Those Hugo nominees, they think they're so great. Right. Uh, because they are. Anyway, uh, we read them, and, and we love, the other thing is, we love our listeners because we read seven books just to do one episode of The Incomparable, which is this one. So, I plugged all seven into random.org. Oh! which is how we're going this podcast is brought to you as all our podcasts are by random.org um and so i thought we would discuss the seven novels in turn obviously we're not going to be able to go super in depth because the podcast is not that long and there are seven books Mm -hmm. but we're going to talk a little bit about them and let you know what uh what we thought and hopefully out of that list of seven The seven lists compiled by the Nebula people, Science Fiction Writers Association. <laughs> we are going to uh, point you at the ones that we think you should read. How yeah. about that? Read them all. <laughs> no, don't read them all. <laughs> I'm happy to report that uh, a book that I, in fact, the last book I read out Ooh. of the seven was the first to come up in random.org. It's a book called The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter by Theodora Goss. It's a book whose main characters will be very familiar. There's Dr. Jekyll's daughter, Mr. Hyde's daughter. Yes, that means something different. Uh, The woman resurrected creature created by Dr. Frankenstein. And you're saying to yourself, but wait, he didn't create a... uh, Well, Mm. in this book, he did. Uh, There is a character who is poisonous, who comes out of a Nathaniel Hawthorne short story. Uh, There is... Who else is in it? Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson are in it. Uh, Renfield from Dracula is in it. Uh, There's uh, the the, uh, cat lady from the island of Dr. Moreau is in it. Um, 
And the whole premise, so it's obviously a 19th century London story, Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter, sounds like a Sherlock Holmes story, and yes, Holmes is in it, uh, about these women, all of whom have kind of been touched in their lives by these uh, mad scientists, basically, who have been creating monsters. And some of these women are monsters, but they are all uh, investigating, they have to investigate some mysteries and find out the secrets of themselves and all also the secret society of mad scientists that has been doing terrible things in Europe in the 19th century. And that's the strange case of the alchemist's daughter. Uh, Aline, what'd you think of this one? I liked it. Uh, it's actually the one when I, when I read it initially, it was a little bit confusing kind of reading uh, the format, uh, which has like some commentary throughout it. Um, uh-huh. And so like separating that out at first was a little bit like, what is happening? Am I missing? And I feel like I do this with every book I read. Am I missing something? This format is is different. Um, and I didn't love it as I was reading it. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I was like, I'm not quite sure why this was nomi- nominated from like a, you know, it was it was competently well it was well written, competently written, but it wasn't like beautiful or you know anything like that. But it's probably the book that I've thought about the most after reading it um Mm. some of these others i've completely forgotten some of them i didn't like reading at all but this one i keep coming back to and i'm really anxious for the sequels because i think that they're i mean it was a fun read it was an easy read um it was a relatable for me relatable read and i'm looking forward to continuing the series now, uh, speaking of relatable, Scott, you are a monster. <laughs> so, wait a second. No, that's I, that, that's a, that's wrong. That's I just wrote that down. I don't know why I wrote that down. Scott, well, what did you think of this? <laughs> You're not a monster. Oh, thank you. Uh, or a 19th century lady who lives in oh, London, for that matter. Well, thanks for Sorry. ruining my life <laughs> again, Jason. Uh, well, I I will agree. Uh, so I read obviously uh, I read all of the books um, that were nominated, and uh, I read this one towards the end. I think um, did I? I'm trying to see. I'm, I'm looking at Goodreads now. So I read yes, I read it towards the end, uh, and um, as I was reading all the other books. I was, I liked some of them. I didn't, I liked others more and less, uh, but they were all pretty much kind of straightforward narratives. Uh, and I was a little disappointed that nobody was trying, no one was doing anything interesting with the narrative, uh, structure of their books, uh, that were, were nominated. Uh, and then I read The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter. And, uh, finally, someone was doing something that, uh, I enjoy, mm-hmm. which is kind of a very postmodern kind of trick, right? The, one of the characters in the book is writing the book, and all the other characters are also, uh, commenting on the writing as it's happening, and she's telling the story that she's part of. Uh, and so this is not, you know, this is certainly not the first book that has done this, and it's kind of a, a, a trope, I guess, at this point. But it, it was interestingly done because I feel like the strange case of the alchemist's daughter could have been, uh, if it was just a straightforward story of all of these people kind of meeting up and being this mashup, um, I feel like it could have been uh, less than the sum of its parts. But I think with the added dash of this interesting narrative structure, it was more than the sum of its parts. Uh, so I enjoyed that. And uh, I also like because I feel like there could have been... Um, 
there as a certain kind of reaction, I suppose, to to uh, white men and their their history of literature and their place in literature. So I felt like it could have been a, a case where uh, this uh, Sherlock Holmes shows up and uh, he could have been like an idiot, and uh, the ladies could have solved all the, the things. And the ladies are uh, very competent and uh, the stars of the show. But Sherlock Holmes is not an idiot either. He's kind of he's there and he's helping out. So I like that as well. Yeah, I mean he's he's he is noticeably. I mean he is Sherlock Holmes. I think a Holmes fan would read Holmes and Watson here and feel like they were recognizably Holmes and Watson. This yes. isn't sort of a joke on Holmes's, you know, t- that that takes Holmes to task or anything like that. It's like it's Sherlock Holmes as you know him. And in fact, the, one of the fun moments is when he meets Mary Jekyll and very quickly realizes that she is observant in many ways that mm-hmm. he is. She's not as educated as he is because she's been educated in what sort of ladies are supposed to be educated by. But she is sharp and observant and has lots of good ideas. And very quickly, Holmes, while the rest of society, like her, the, the lady who runs the house and, and Dr. Watson, are all sort of like, no, 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 the women shouldn't be here. Holmes is like, no, I want her here. She's really smart. <laughs> she can and help is very me. helpful to me. Yeah, yeah. And I think he kind of lo- likes her too. I yes. Think he her. Yeah. But but um, but Holmes immediately sees her value and her skill, and I I really appreciated that because I think that's a thing that Sherlock Holmes, the character that I know, would do is recognize her talent immediately. He he doesn't miss stuff, right? He would know that she's brilliant immediately, and he does, right. which is a lot of fun. And I think there's there's sometimes the the uh, attraction of taking a figure like Sherlock Holmes and saying, well, you know, he's he wasn't all that great. Uh, and let me rewrite his character so that he is like all the other characters in this book that are not the main characters and kind of questioning, uh, you know, the value of the women. And he is totally like, no, you guys, you all have, uh, interesting and useful things and you, you should be part of this. And everybody's like, no, women shouldn't be carrying guns and running around and doing all these things. And Charlotte Holmes is like, she could breathe poison. And <laughs> I think it's okay. Yep. <laughs> Strong, strong argument. I mean, this is this is one of the things that elevates this is is the the feminism here. Not only are the main characters women, but you know, with the commentary where people are interjecting throughout, which I agree, kind of totally uplifts this book. Um, I think it would have been fine without it, but with it, you get that whole other layer of commentary, both about like who these characters are uh, and where they're going to end up. You know, where they ended up later, because the the comments are from much later on, where they've kind of all come together and been successful and solved many mysteries but this is how they met and so you've got that whole layer of trying to read between the lines of they're obviously familiar now but they weren't then but the, but there is that whole extra layer which is these are women uh, they are working in a society that is makes it very hard for women to get around one of the characters Diana Hyde uh, she cuts off all her hair and and uh, they need to wear men's clothes for a disguise at one point and she's like I'm wearing men's clothes now because that's great because <laughs> nobody <laughs> bugs me they, they I can move and people don't stop me and tell me I can't go places. And so there's that whole layer of commentary that's happening here, too. And then there's a whole other layer, which is how this book came to be, is my understanding, is that Theodore Goss wrote a paper um, and then wrote a, wrote a novel uh, or a novella uh, that was all about... Uh, this idea of like why why do so many mad scientists in 19th century novels and stories try to make women monsters and then generally abandon it like what a strange it keeps happening and so she's like i'm just gonna write all the women monsters and that's what this book is um i loved it 
I loved it. I thought it was, I didn't know going in, I was kind of worried it was going to be just kind of a little pastiche on Sherlock Holmes and some of these other works. And in the end, I thought it was, I thought it did transcend that. I thought it was honoring the material in that way. There's a lot of time spent talking about Mary Shelley too, right? Because that's the other part here is that it wasn't all um, men writing these stories. Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein, right? Like that is one of the key source uh, novels that, that this that this novel uses. And the writer of it finds an affinity for Mary Shelley. And that's uh, a, a fun section too, where she's given her due as one of the initial creators of this stuff. So yeah, I mean, I think it works... I feel like this book works on all levels. It's fun. It's got something to say that's pointed about our society. It's got something to say sort of like about the root myths of science fiction and fantasy and horror that we that we kind of go back to all the time. Uh, you know, it's that's that's it seems it's super easy and fun to read, but that's a hard trick. So I was really impressed with this. And this, I think, is her first novel. And I, I love that it's at its core. It's also about friendship. And that's not something that we uh-huh. get with kind of these uh you know the science fiction and fantasy things it's it's often who's like who's going to come out ahead and who's going to stab who in the back or or whatever and fundamentally this is a book about the beginnings of uh of friendships and positive relationships among women like it it really is a very positive uplifting thing they they come together and they're kind of constantly um bolstering one another which i think is awesome well diana aside who is a little bit of a uh ragamuffin i guess guess, and a little bit derided (laughs) for that but yeah I mean, she's trouble. She's feisty and, and, and trouble. Yeah. But at the same time, she's the one who's kind of pushing back at several points on this idea of friendship yep. and that the idea that they can get along. And that's useful because they all kind of get to say, well, you know, just because we don't always get along or agree doesn't mean that we're not friends or family, that we don't aren't important to each other and, and should should stick this out. And it's also fun reading that, knowing that through the the interjections, you know that they do. Um, so that you get to you like you know where it's going to go, but you get to see them get there and and yeah, absolutely. This is one of the key things that happens is this is how this group um, comes together and learns who they are and learns to sort of accept their differences and figure out a way to work together and be this great team of you know super friends of monsters, basically <laughs> monster super friends. Yep. That's right. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, Monster Friends. And it's a good start to a series. I'm sure there will be more in this, this series. Yeah. Actually, one of the things I wanted to mention, um, is how it ends. Cause I think it ends perfectly, which is there's an end chapter that sort of like wraps up the mystery and they all agree to come together and it sets them off for other adventures. And they're like, yay, that's great. And that's the end. Except there's another chapter. And what is the other chapter? The other chapter is a letter arrives from Vienna where another woman or girl in this case, I think she's like 13 or 14, um, who is being experimented on by her mad scientist father, Professor von Helsing. And she has heard from a, a person that they know in common that this group has has assembled and that they could perhaps save her from this monstrous thing that's being done to her by her mad scientist father. And that's how it ends. And I love that i like i think they she she sticks the landing and then she she uh, gives you this little chapter that's like aha but the game is afoot again (laughs) a new adventure begins and that's how the book ends i'm like yeah that's the way to end that book i like Mm -hmm. that even better that they're off on their next adventure they're getting out maps and like where where is vienna anyway let's get out the maps (laughs) to the end and it's like yeah that that was i loved it 
great ending. Yep. Mm-hmm. A very Victorian serial way of ending. Indeed, that's true. That's true. You'll have to pick up another Penny Dreadful or something. <laughs> that's to right. Get the next one. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you in part by our awesome friends over at Pingdom. Now, the reason Pingdom is awesome is because they help keep your sites and the sites you love online. Pingdom monitors your site so you don't have to and gives you real-time feedback so you know exactly what's going on at all times. Let's be real. Stuff is breaking on the internet all the time. Every month, Pingdom detects around 13 million different outages on the internet, more than 400,000 every single day. So regardless of whether you have a small website or you're managing a complete infrastructure, it's super important to monitor its availability and performance at all times. You don't want your site to go down and know nothing about it until some Someone sends you a tweet or an email asking if your site is down or worse yet, if it's like a manager or something saying, why is our site down? That's bad. Don't be surprised. Get Pingdom. It's easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is the URL you want to monitor. They take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash Snell right now, and you'll get a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code Snell, there's my last name again, at checkout, and you'll get 30% off your first invoice. So Baby, remember my name, as the song says, Snell, 30% off. Thanks to Pingdom for their support of The Incomparable and letting me make a reference to fame, a very old song. We'll move on to our randomly selected next book, which is Jade City by Fonda Lee. Jade City is a story about a city that is called by the rest of the world Jade City. It is in Asia. It is, this is one of those things that it's set in a world that is, that is not our world, but I think you can see the parallels. So is it Asia if it's not our world? Well, it's a very Asian city in a very Asian region. And there are, it seems like parallels for the United States and for China and for some other countries, but by kind of pulling it back from that, it allows uh, Fonda Lee to, uh, you know, make things up and, and, and stretch your wings a little bit and have it be, there's another book like this too that we read um, that we'll get to in a little bit uh, and have it be different, but it's still recognizably sort of like our world, kind of post-war our world. And if I can describe it as anything, it's, it's kind of like The Godfather, that's the thing it reminded me of the most. The idea is that this this city has a government, but it's basically run by crime families. And one of these crime families is the is where we get all of our main characters. And there's the there's the brother who has taken over the crime family, and then there his brother who's basically the muscle, and he runs kind of like the uh, enforcers of the family. And then there's the sister who sort of repudiated the family and left, but has been brought back in, drawn back in to this struggle that they've got with the kind of other major uh, crime organization in this city. And oh, by the way, they. Uh, uh, all wear jade on their bodies, and it's this kind of magical stone that is only found in this in this country, the city states uh, uh, land. And the more of it you wear, if you're of a certain kind of sort of uh, ethnic uh, genetic background, you get uh, like superpowers, basically. So that's the, there's your there's your genre element on top. But I, but I found it like in reading it, I kept thinking like, well, this character is like Michael Corleone in The Godfather. <laughs> 
part one. And this character is like Michael Corleone in The Godfather part two. <laughs> but, but it is kind of like that family saga and interlocking power and threats of violence and sudden violence and people die. And how does the family pick up when certain members of the family die and others survive? All set with this, mixed in with this interesting concept of the fact that these very special people in the city who are called the Green Bones have, they wear this jade and they have powers. They have strength and the ability to move objects and make their their skin as hard as steel and things like that. So that's Jade City. Uh, Scott, what do you think of this one? Uh, well, this is why I like reading these n- uh, nominated books because uh, I would have never read Jade City otherwise because it's not really uh, the kind of book that I read. It's uh, firmly uh, an urban fantasy, which I generally avoid. Yeah. Um, just because it generally, they don't usually float my boat. Uh, but this one, I should say, I read uh, a different book thinking it was this book, <laughs> uh, which was uh, a mistake on my part. Uh, I read The City of Brass, which is a completely different book, uh, which is about uh, a genie, and it's 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 nowhere related. But it's also very good, so check it out. But anyway, uh, Jane, right. <laughs> Jane City uh, is the book that we're talking about. It's also surprised me. I mean, I did not think that I would like it. Uh, and I turned out to really like it because I thought it was another one of these books that clearly is setting up a series. And it did a very good job of making me care for the characters. Uh, and it did that thing where I suppose, you know, I don't know, George R. R. Martin did not invent this, but uh, he is the, uh, spoiler alert for Game of Thrones, uh, of a pivotal character dying, uh, or who you think is a pivotal character dying. Uh, that happens in Jade City. At least it surprised me when this character died. I don't know if anybody else mm-hmm. was surprised. Uh, and so I was like, what? That's, that is not how I expected the middle of this book to start. Um, uh, and I liked all the characters. I liked the idea of the Jade thing and, uh, how, you know, they have the, the young, uh, daughter of the family has to come back and she doesn't really want to be part of the family, but, uh, or part of the, the family business, I should say. She still loves her family. Yes. Um, but she, through a, a variety of circumstances, she ends up having to help out because people who thought they knew what they were going to be doing were not doing it anymore because of, uh, circumstances beyond their control. Uh, I like the, <laughs> you know, the, the dynamic between the two, uh, families, like the two big warring families families in in the city right uh and i like that it was different enough uh that i felt like it was fiction uh, or or you know like fantasy uh but it wasn't so crazy pants out of the world that uh i didn't it, it was grounded in kind of a gritty modern contemporary setting but also people could uh you know make their skin as hard as steel uh and, and they had jade embedded in them and all kinds of things so I liked it. The other book it reminded me of, actually, that was a recent one that we've talked about, is the Luna um, books, uh, yes. uh, Wolf Moon and, and New mm-hmm. Moon, which is, again, a fab- family saga, uh, crime and and power and things like that. And it did it did remind me of those two. And I like those books. And I like this book. Uh, uh, Aline, what did you think? I liked it better than those books. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, I figured. Yeah. I, 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 well, I've only read... Uh, 
the first of those two. But yeah, I, I liked it. I I didn't love it, you know, kind of like Scott was saying. Um, I do like some urban fantasy. I haven't read a whole lot. Um, the whole crime family thing is not really my cup of tea, but okay. Like I've never seen The Godfather. Sorry. Um, but um I, I, I like it and I like I like the characters, once we get to know them, I felt like it was kind of a slow burn uh, getting to know them. But by the end, I was like, oh, okay, I, I I think I get you now. I think I understand you. Um, I liked Shay, who is the younger sister, um, kind of in the, right. the central family. I like that um, she's a really pivotal character, and it doesn't seem like she will be at first. Um, and I appreciate that uh, she is someone her clan um and the leadership in her clan really starts to lean on not because not just because she's um you know born into the clan or born into the the leading family of the clan but because she is educated and she's good at what she does and i really appreciate that about her character is that she is um you know she she ran away from home um was kind of an outcast and is then kind of brought back into the fold as someone who is important because of the skills that she has. So yeah, and that twist in the middle did not did not see that coming. Um there not only are all of the characters, you know, not white, at least not as we think about them. Uh you know who knows <laughs> but um i they have representation of uh, a prominent gay character um which i appreciate so i i thought it was a i thought it was a really good read it's another one where i probably wouldn't like scott said i wouldn't have picked it up on my own but i'm glad that i've read it i'm ready you know i'm, I'm not quite as anxious to read the sequel um i will read the sequel but i liked it a lot yeah i think it's i think it's really good um i like both of you would not have picked this up uh, but like I said, I like The Godfather, and it did really remind me of The Godfather. I think Shay is Michael in Godfather One, right? Where in she's you know college educated outside of their country. She's gone to basically what I pictured as the U.S. analog, mm-hmm. and now she's come back, and she kind of wants to do her own thing and be involved in international business and all of that. And she comes from a crime family, right? So she's like, look, I'm going to put that aside. And I'm going to do this, and I love my family, but I'm going to do this. And then things happen, and she's like, all right. Right. I guess this is what I'm going to do now as I'm going to go back to this this world now. I like that it's one of the things I really like about it is that this city has a name, uh, but it points out in passing that all the foreigners call it Jade City. And that's the name of the book. But I really like that because I feel like that that you get a lot of that uh, experience of you, you get the feeling that this is a story that's being that's set in Asia and that you've got some kind of smaller uh, city states or very small countries. And there are also large countries, but there are also like far off powers that have affected it with this is coming in the aftermath of a world war essentially and there's still sort of global uh geopolitics manipulation happening and of course some of our characters toward the end of this book try to manipulate the large geopolitical powers to help them in you know work it to their advantage which i thought was also interesting so i love that flavor of it that um that we're seeing this uh, a story that is not the kind of story that uh that i think as as american readers we would have been given before and it's a good story it's like there are those plot twists i knew somebody was dying there is a moment where you're like 
something bad is about to happen. Mm-hmm. These guys, the other family has a plan. There's a very clear moment in the book where you realize that this family is going to get smacked down because the other family is depicted as doing all of these things that they don't understand why they're doing them. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh boy, they are playing you and you're going to get it. And what happens is more complicated than that, which I also like. It's kind of a the 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 death of the one character. It's kind of a mistake and it precipitates this all-out war between the families, but it wasn't really supposed to happen. There's a character who we meet early on who is uh wants to be a big man but is actually kind of a loser and he sort of stumbles in and does something unexpected that causes this whole thing to fall apart. Fascinating. And uh yeah, it was it was a kept me intrigued the whole time very surprising i love it this is why i to echo scott this is why i like reading these short lists is because you find these books that somebody loved because they got nominated for for an award and then you read them and you're like oh yeah that's why this is a really good book and i was very happy i was very happy in general just a little little spoiler here that uh last year was kind of a slog in terms of the award reading and this year the batting average was much better i was very happy there was i, I finished all of them <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's good. True. Yeah. I only wa- there's only one that I really struggled with. So, and we'll get to it. But uh yeah, okay. So Fonda Fonda Lee's Jade City. It's yeah. uh, it's good. It is good. Yeah. If you want superpowered uh mobsters in asia this is the book for you. And if that's a very specific want, but if that sounds good, you should read it. It's fun. Yeah. I just I love the way that there's the supernatural kind of manifests in them that it's, you know, I don't love that it's a genetic thing, but whatever, you know, um, so the, the, the chosen, um, get, get this, but I think it's a really cool thing where it's, uh, you know, it's augmented by Jade and amplified by Jade. And I think that's really, it, it was just really a neat idea. And, and the, it's the chosen, but you get the sense that like, it's not quite it, that there's, there's something that there, there are certain people who are like stone eyes that can't use the jade at all. And then there are people who like, they're one of the characters is a, is what is insulted at several points and called a half breed, but he can, he can control the jade to a certain point and that and that's interesting and then th- there is of course everybody on the outside world is trying to come up with drugs and things that will allow outsiders to use these superpowers get access to these superpowers and that's a whole kind of plot point too that is not ignored that like what would happen if these things existed and there was a t- thing that could get you superpowers but the only people who could wield it are these families in this one little uh little island uh, then what would the superpowers do? And the answer is uh, pretty much what you might expect, which is a biotech and try to come up with, you know, are there drugs that they can do to to enable non-natives to use the uh, the jade? And that's all part of the plot, too. It's good. It's good stuff. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you in part by Away, a team of thinkers, seekers, and designers who have made smart premium suitcases so your luggage doesn't cost more than your plane ticket and what do you need most while you're traveling more battery that's right when you buy an away suitcase you can charge all your devices while you travel both sizes of their carry-on feature usb ports with a battery large enough to charge your phone five times from a single charge go to awaytravel.com slash snell right now and browse away suitcases featuring premium german polycarbonate which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance and still quite lightweight you choose from over 10 colors 
and five sizes, the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, the large, or the kids' carry-on for the smaller travelers among us. They cut out the middleman. You buy direct from them. You get first-class luggage at coach prices. Away suitcases have a patent-pending compression system so you can fit in all your stuff. Great if you're an overpacker. And it's got four 360-degree spinner wheels. Once you have a suitcase with spinner wheels, you will never go back. Away's carry-ons are compliant with all the major U.S. airlines and still maximize the amount you can pack. TSA combination locks are built in. They also feature a removable washable laundry bag, too, so you can separate your clean clothes from the dirty ones. I use that one all the time because I do have an Away suitcase. In fact, I like the Away carry-on so much that we immediately bought a second one for my wife. So we both have Away suitcases now. They're great. We use them all the time. I'm always amazed. I go on a modern airplane and the Away suitcase fits exactly inside the overhead bin. Exactly because they have designed it to fit the U.S. airlines and in general airline overhead bin space so you can maximize what you're packing while fitting in the bin. Love it. And of course, I know that if I need to charge my phone, the battery is there. Away believes in the quality of their products. They offer a lifetime guarantee. If anything breaks on that suitcase, they will fix it or replace it for life. And there's a 100-day trial with no questions asked return policy if you decide you don't like it. Free shipping on any order in the lower 48 states of the U.S. Travel smarter with a suitcase that charges your phone. Go to awaytravel.com slash Snell. And if you use the code Snell at checkout, you're going to get $20 off any away suitcase that's awaytravel.com slash snell and use the code snell for twenty dollars off thank you to away for supporting the incomparable um okay let's move on to autonomous by annalee newitz um this is let me how, how do i describe this book this is a book of the uh sort of mid to late 21st century i would say uh it's about a a pirate but a, a different kind of pirate it's like a pirate she's a patent pirate um there are uh it's uh the global warming has uh, changed you know climate change has changed the world or it's 22nd century 22nd century there are um you know sort of uh most countries have have broken down uh there people don't have citizenship they have franchises there's a sort of indentured um a class of people who have to work off their indenture there uh, so into this there comes this uh, this woman who is the the pirate she's uh, manufacturing drugs that are patented and she's distributing them and it turns out one of the drugs that she's manufactured is killing people and it turns out that it's it's not a bad copy it's a good copy because the drug that is being copied is killing people too and the people the company who makes it knows it and they're just trying to sell it to companies to give to their employees to make them essentially obsess over their job uh to the point where they stop eating and only obsess over their job so she is uh, a a bounty hunter and his partner are hired to 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 hunt her down and that is le- that leads on a chase that takes us through this uh, ravaged by climate change, 22nd century world, mostly in Canada, because it's uh, warmer there in the 22nd century and there's more going on. Now, the bounty hunter and his partner are also really interesting because uh, one of them is a robot. The partner is a robot and the partner is uh is sentient. It is a it is a guy. It's got like restrictions on it, but it's an A.I. And uh how shall I phrase this? Its partner kind of has a thing for robots. The part his partner ha- likes kind of robot loving. We'll say. 
That that should have been the title of the the book. The book Robot Living. Yeah, it's just an interesting. Like I had a moment where, like, am I reading this relationship? Oh my god, mm. I am reading this relationship right. This guy like really gets handsy with his robot partner, um, who is dealing with the fact that the robot partner like has to at one point gets like it's. Um, it's like a restraining bolt in Star Wars. He gets his autonomy. He, she decides to be she, right? That, that's a, it actually chooses a gender. Um, when it finds out, oh, cause it's got a, I didn't it's mention brain. it's got a human brain yeah. <laughs> that it only uses for pattern matching. It's not part of its personality, but it does have a human brain inside it that it uses for pattern matching and it gets its, um, its controls taken off where it can actually access its whole system and be free will, free willed in a way that it couldn't before. And that's when it becomes autonomous and, uh, gets an opinion about like what it's doing and who it's, who it's, uh, its partner is and all of that. So that's going on too. So it's really a whole bunch of stuff in this in this pot with the, the and stir it with the you know kind of adventure of the bounty hunter chasing the pirate as the pirate kind of like tries to find places to hide and tries to find ways to manufacture a cure for this drug that she's distributed that's killing people and that is autonomous uh aline what'd you think of this one did not like it this is one of my least hmm. favorite and it's interesting because i was i was pretty into it until it got to like the robot loving part and i was like (laughs) i have questions about like consent with this i have and there was an attempt to address that later or it was addressed later i don't know but it just it just left a bad taste in my mouth i just I, i couldn't really get past that you know i was totally on board with you know, the pharmaceutical pirate named Jack who was trying to stick it to the companies who are um, <laughs> who have taken over the economy and are charging, you know, out out the no- through the nose for awesome pharmaceuticals that, you know, we'd really love to have now. Things that increase longevity, cures for diseases, all of this amazing stuff that we hope we have in the future. Right. But I don't know that that whole aspect of the plot was just not okay for me and uh i I guess i was just not the audience for that because i just didn't like the way it was addressed at all yeah i i was okay with that because i feel like the book does address it like there's this question there's a lot of questions about what the robot can consent to and i feel like they all do get addressed as the as the story goes along because there's the the questions large and small right because this is also an intelligent creature who's basically enslaved but then again there's this parallel this is a world where all sorts of intelligent creatures are enslaved including many of the humans and so i i felt like the book addressed it but early on you're like what am i what is happening here to this paladin this uh this robot um it's it's a uh, there's there's a lot going on here because yeah. of course intellectual property rights and the whether patents are good or bad and how that you know hoarding patents and uh, limiting access to drugs I mean that's obviously you know like all great science fiction it's talking about issues that are relevant today but it's putting it in a different context uh, but you know all of those issues are there too so there's a lot going on for sure um, Scott what do you think of this one I also did not like it um, because I felt like it was just screaming at me this is modern science fiction I am dealing with all of these contemporary themes and mashing them all together also robot loving uh, <laughs> and I was like you know I don't I don't I like my science fiction to be a little more subtle about these things um, and so I felt like those themes were just 
pounding me over the head and uh, making the plot and the characters almost irrelevant because there were these big ideas that needed to be talked about. Uh, also, there's a story with a submarine and a, a kid who was uh, a slave but is now a free agent. Try and maybe, who knows? I don't know. It didn't work for me. Interesting. Yeah, there is a submarine. I like the submarine. I I like this one. I didn't love it, but I liked it a lot. And I don't disagree with a lot of your points about how it is uh, saying this is modern science fiction. I'm going to address all sorts of issues. But I think what I liked about it is that it felt like... Um, felt a bit like a Paolo Bacigalupi novel in that it's sort of mm-hmm. like um, an extrapolation of the way things are going in our society. This is what the world could look like in the 22nd century. And I think I think that's the thing I liked about it the most that sort of puts it over the top for me is that I read about this world, this 22nd century world, and I thought, I think this is an entirely plausible future. Like as dystopian as it is in many ways, it, it, I think I think Newitz does a very good job of drawing the lines from sort of like what is happening now and drawing them forward and saying if if what is happening now keeps going, this is the kind of world we may be living in in a hundred years. And I, I think uh, I think she does a good job, and I really like the way that the world is sketched out. I think the robot stuff is weird, fascinating, but it is weird. And and the robot, I like the robot's kind of journey of self-discovery and figuring out what it's going to be uh, and ultimately what she's going to be and how she's going to have, a, have free will. Her partner... Yeah is a super strange character um and and he's got like he's got a sad you know tragic backstory of course that makes him this way but like um he's a very he's a really strange cat and uh that that is that is there's no doubt about that um and i like a bunch of the other characters we meet along the way her her you know her friends the pirates friends in the the universities and in the in the in the black market and all of that so um so i like this one i was i was fearing that it was going to be uh, since it's another book like last year's nebula winner all the birds in the sky which was written by a well-known writer not of uh science fiction but of tech and, and and uh, and uh, you know blog posts about about uh, whether it's news or or about science fiction world in general. You know that book won the Nebula, and I saw this book by another byline I recognize who I don't recognize as a novelist. And I thought, uh oh, here we go again. And um, I didn't like that book, but I really did like this book. I thought I thought it was pretty good. So if you're if you're somebody who likes books that shout, this is modern <laughs> science fiction. <laughs> And and considering who wrote it, I mean, it's not surprising that this is the book that she wrote, right? Because she is is enmeshed in the the world of science fiction, uh, the contemporary world of science fiction, critiquing and, te- and, it and technology, and technology. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as so. a as a uh, you know, long time you expected a long time Ars Technica and and Wired writer to write a uh, science fiction novel would it would it look like this? Yeah, uh, and it does. <laughs> That's right. what it is. And it was not but, my least favorite. So no, look at that. No, it was definitely not my least favorite, but. Uh, I'm sorry that that uh, you didn't like it, Aline. I was uh, okay. I, I was on the other side. I was pleasantly surprised by uh, by Autonomous by Annalee Newitz. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you in part by Casper. Podcast listeners are invited to take advantage of Casper's competitive limited time Memorial Day sale offer. Start your summer off right by choosing the internet's favorite mattress this Memorial Day with three lines to choose from, including the original Casper, the innovative Wave mattress, and the streamlined Essential. Every Casper mattress is designed to help you sleep cool and regulate your body temperature throughout the night. Plus, you can be sure of your purchase with Casper 
Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-a-trial and returns are hassle-free if you're not completely satisfied. I have been sleeping on a Casper mattress for a couple of years now. It was easy to get it out of the box. You just open it up. Boosh. You've got an entire mattress. Expands to fit the space. Uh, We bought a new bed for our new Casper mattress. It's been great. No longer a trampoline for my cat, just a comfortable night's sleep. And, of course, we were also confident that if we didn't like it, we could send it back. But we didn't. We kept it, and we've had it for several years now. For a limited time, you can go to casper.com slash savings, and you're going to get 10% off of your order with any mattress purchase. This special offer expires on May 29th, 2018, so get to it before the month is over. Terms and conditions apply. Casper.com slash savings. You're going to get 10% off your order with any mattress purchase. Valid until May 29th. Thank you to Casper for sponsoring The Incomparable. Let's move on. Book number four is Spoonbenders by <laughs> Daryl Gregory. Now, how can I describe Spoonbenders? <laughs> uh, Spoonbenders is a book about a family in the, uh, what, like 1970s to 1990s, I think? Kind of? Sounds 60s right. to 90s? Yeah. Something like that. In the late, 20, late 20th century, a family, and they are, um, many of them have kind of psychic powers of various kinds or other strange powers. Um, the patriarch of the family is a con man, but he marries the world's most powerful psychic and their children all have various kinds of powers and the government wants to control them. And they were employed by the government. The father and the mother were the kids are, some of them are still being watched by the government. The kids are grown up and have, you know, their lives are in various states of disrepair and, um, and, you know, because of one of the characters being able to see the future, that this is all going to come to a head in a mysterious confrontation that that character doesn't know what happens after that. That's like the last day that he remembers from the future. And so it's a family saga about this very interesting and strange family um, and their powers and how they got there and how the parents met and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, let's start with Scott. What did you think of Spoonbenders? I really like Spoonbenders, and I—it's th- I, not going to win the Nebula um, because it's not, it doesn't feel like the kind of book that gets nominated for a science fiction or fantasy award. It's because it's contemporary and it's and it's sort of playing on like you know modern conceptions of mm-hmm. of. Uh, of magical kind of hucksterism of like Yuri Geller spoonbenders, right? Like uh, people who are frauds. There's a character who's very much a James Randi kind of character yes. in this book. That is, but but you know, but beneath it, these people actually do have powers. That's the that's the funny thing. So it's it feels yeah, it feels more strangely like a mainstream novel than it does like a science fiction or fantasy novel. But it, although it absolutely is. Yes, it's one of these things that you where where do you draw the line between? And because I went uh, looking for this book because uh, when I needed to read it, I was uh, in New York City, and I thought, well, I'm here, I will go to a bookstore and buy a physical copy because why not support independent bookstores? Uh, so I went to three independent bookstores, and none of them had it because it was just coming out in paperback, so they didn't have the hardcover. But whatever. But I I finally found it in the fiction section of a different bookstore and not science See? fiction, which is mm-hmm. where I would, having read it, I would expect it to be shelved in fiction because it's much more kind of literary fiction, magical realism kind of, 
but it's not really magical yeah. realism because they actually do have powers. So uh, it's it's an interesting book, uh, hard to quantify. I'm surprised, frankly, that it was nominated for the Nebula. Uh, I'm glad it was because I wouldn't have read it probably otherwise. And I really enjoyed it. I liked the, you know, once again, playing with the narrative, having one character who knows the future up until a certain point uh, is is interesting uh, because you, you wonder, well, what's going to happen at that point? Uh, and uh, you find out. Uh, and, and he's doing kind of, like, they don't explain that until a little bit later, and he's doing kind of odd things, and you don't really, nobody knows why he's doing it, and he won't tell anybody uh, for a variety of reasons, and then it all <laughs> kind of makes sense at the end. Uh, and, and I think about halfway through the book, you realize, oh, he's doing these things because he remembers what's happening in the future, but he gets kind of glimpses, so he can't, he doesn't know if he's remembering the right things or not. And then he worries constantly about if he does something, is he only remembering what he's remembering because of what he did? And did he do something wrong to misremember the future? And is he changing it? Uh, so he's a very interesting character who doesn't really talk much in the book. So uh, no, he's too busy building things <laughs> that he knows he's going to need in the future and trying not to influence it. Yes. Yes. Uh, and then there are a whole, and all the other characters, I mean, he, he's an interesting, complex character, and there are a whole bunch of other characters that are also interesting and complex. The, the patriarch of the family is, is very interesting. Uh, there's the, the, the kid who finds his powers. Yeah. Uh, he, it turns out he can astral project like his grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, but, <laughs> but only when he's masturbating. <laughs> Which, you know, Which is, that's, uh, you know, or high. That's, well, that's, or high, that's right. He that's that becomes the solution is that he can smoke pot and do it. But he's very much like a teenager trying to figure out where his place in the world writ large. His mom is a great character too. Mm-hmm. Her marriage has fallen apart, and uh, she's been supporting herself. And she's got kind of like an online uh, a love interest, but she doesn't. You know, she's really reluctant to put herself out there again, and and she's worried about her son. And she's interesting because she can tell when you're lying. <laughs> Yes. Which makes it difficult for her to have relationships because, uh, you know, relationships are built on little tiny lies that mean nothing. Like, you know, you see your loved one and you say, oh, you look like they ask you, do I look fine? And you say yes. And maybe they, you don't think they really look fine, but you know, they are fine, but she knows you're lying. And then these little lies add up and she just can't trust anything that you say. So it's very interesting. And that's why she was so excited to have this online relationship. And then there's complications because it's a book, but, uh, I really liked it. Elaine, what about you? Yeah. Um, this book made me examine what it is I look for in science fiction and fantasy books. And, it's uh, not this. That's not this. Uh, I, I enjoyed, I appreciated how, kind of how it all came together in the end. Um, I don't know. Do I really need to read about another dysfunctional white family? I don't know. Um, I, um, it, it, it was okay. I didn't love it. Uh, it actually took me a while to read it. Um, but, you know, it's, it still wasn't my least favorite book of all the ones we read. It, it was fine. It was fine. I, um, I'm with Scott. I, I was surprised that I liked it as much as I did because I really was kind of dreading it because it was just not a book that it sounded like something I wanted to read. And, you know, I liked it. I liked that the characters are all 
very interesting. They all have their different issues. They're trying to get along. There, there's this whole layer of like the the fraud, and the dad is a fraud, basically, and a and a con man. And yet, there's the powers underneath it, which I thought I really liked. Uh, it reminds me more of you know a Michael Chabon book or something like that, where it's you know literary fiction that is playing it at genre mm-hmm. and it's funny because like the writer daryl gregory went to um uh the clarion uh science fiction workshop so it's not as if i mean he, he his first fiction sale was to the fantasy and magazine of fantasy and science fiction so he absolutely has a has uh credentials in coming from the science fiction and fantasy world um but this book you know doesn't feel like that it feels no. it feels very different um but I liked it a lot. I thought it was really good. I thought it was really well done. Um, I love the way that you get to know that weird character who is trying just trying to prepare for the things he sees in the future. He's building the future because he needs like he needs a hole needs to be dug here because he remembers <laughs> that the hole is there later. And so they're like, he's a crazy person. He just digs this hole. And he, but he's and but and and he doesn't talk and he doesn't tell us why. But in his mind, he knows exactly why he's digging the hole. And they all judge him as being out there <laughs> but he has perfectly good well good for in the premise of this book reasons for doing it because he knows it needs to be there at that moment when that thing happens that he knows is going to happen because he's seen that little bit of the future i think that's just a really uh fun interesting character there's a mob thing in here too there's a bad like a a guy who uh, one of the characters owns owes a lot of money to and he's trying to get his nephew who is the astro projector to figure out the the, the combination on a safe I completely forgot so about that Wow. So that he can steal money, and that's trying to go on. And so he knows about the kid's power, but his the kid's mom, who is dating the guy from Phoenix, doesn't know it. And uh, yeah, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in here. But I thought it was fun. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, the, definitely uh, in the in the category of a book I would never have uh, picked to read, and was happy that I read. All right, let's move on to a book that we already, I think, covered in a podcast, and we've covered the series in a podcast, and it is the third book in a series that the first two won the Hugo Awards. It's The Stone Sky by N.K. Jemisin. Uh, you should probably know what this book is, or if not, you should go back and uh, and read that whole series, because it's a good series. Um uh, I had a funny time kind of ranking this versus the other books because as much as I like the fifth season and I like the obelisk gate, I thought the stone sky was fine as an ending for the series. It wrapped everything up. It gave us an ending. It brought the characters together at the end. But for me, um, it was, you know, it was a third book in a series. It was third book in a trilogy, continue, concluding a trilogy. It's a trilogy I liked. But at the same time, it had none of the kind of excitement of the new that I got from all the other books in this uh, in this category, which were which were standalone or first book in a series kind of things. Um, uh, just that's just how I I read it when I was looking at it on the list, and I also read it before the rest of them because I read it the moment it came out because I liked the first two books. Um, Aline, what what was your take on the Stone Sky? I love it, of course. I love everything that uh, Nora Jemison writes. So um, it's been I didn't reread it in anticipation of the podcast, so it's been yeah. like since it came out since I read it. Um, but I I loved it. I love the way she writes. Um, it didn't. You know, it, it wasn't quite the revelation, like you said, of the first two books. Um, but I thought it was a good conclusion. And 
uh, I don't want to say that because I don't want to spoil it, but it it doesn't it didn't necessarily end the way I wanted it to, but I felt like it made sense to end the way that she chose to end it. Um, and yeah, I loved it a lot. Scott, what about you? Uh, well, I read it when it, immediately when it came out, which means that I remember almost nothing of it, uh, other than that I really liked it. So, uh, kudos. Uh, I like the whole series. I imagine, uh, that it will win the Hugo. Uh, I don't know if it will win the Nebula, but, um, she'll at least get a Hugo. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it seems. It seems like it. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about the series. It's a great series. It mixes science fiction and fantasy in some interesting ways. Um, it, like I, I said about the the first book, um, the fifth season, it's like there's almost like an X-Men aspect to it, but it's in this kind of fantasy world. Um, there's this whole, uh, you know, it's mo- the plot is moving toward the, the, the climax that happens in the book, and, and it's hard to judge it on its own. Uh, but yes, I agree with Aline. Uh, N.K. Jemisin's books are all good. I have not read a bad N.K. Jemison book, uh, and this is, uh, I think, the series has deserved all the awards that it's, that it's won, so if it were to win another one, I would be fine with that. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> me too. I approve. <laughs> I have no say, but I approve anyway. Alright, here we go. We've got two more left to talk oh. about. So, we've got, we've had some, uh, some uh, suggestions that perhaps I'm going to make you rank them at the end, by the way, I'm going to oh, warn dear. you right now. You're I'm going to make now. you rank them. So start to think about that. But first we're going to talk about Amber Lowe by Lara Elena or Lara Elena Donnelly probably is how that is pronounced. So. Uh, Amber Lowe is a book that is set in a fictional world in a fictional uh, country. It feels very much like pre World War II Germany in that there is a uh, thriving kind of nightclub scene and there there's a lot of kind of a bohemian uh, lifestyle and there's a lot of like excitement and there's like kind of uh, uh, this uh, theater that's putting on the show and it's got uh, it's got nudity and burlesque and it's got drag queens and it's got all sorts of things going on but meanwhile in the country slash state slash whatever to the north uh, fascists are taking over the government and once that happens they are going to take their uh, try to take over the whole country including Amberlow and the behind this is the backdrop for a story about uh, a spy who works in Amberlow's government and a performer at the nightclub and uh, and who is gay and is the lover of the spy and then a woman who is the lover of uh, several people at the nightclub including the theater owner uh, and uh, and they all kind of get caught up in there's crime and smuggling and uh, double agentry and deceit and the rise of, of, of this uh, fascist group. And uh, if you're wondering, well, Jason, other than the fact that they changed the names so it's in made up countries, how is this science fiction or fantasy? Uh, this is the subject of some debate because yeah. one of the things that frustrates me about Amberlow is there is nothing science fictional or fantastic about it. It's literally a story about which i mean again jade city does that but jade city also has the jade in it here the only thing that is 
uh, fantastical about this is that it's set in a made-up country that's very much like a real country and a time that is a very much like a real time and and therefore uh, I'm giving I'm giving myself away this is the one I like the least I struggled to get through it after the first hundred pages I actually thought it got much more readable I thought the first first hundred fifty to hundred pages was very difficult uh, I, I this is this is uh, kind of textbook how not to start a novel for me it, like was really hard lots of characters you didn't know what was going on it's a real struggle to get through it and finally kind of get to where it was a little more streamlined and i got frustrated because i just don't know and this is not the novel's fault i don't know why this got nominated for a nebula award because um well i've got some ideas but like as a work of science fiction or fantasy i felt like if you made up a country name and drew a map in your book does that make it science fiction i don't think it does but that's amberlo so there it is aline what'd you think also my least favorite of of the nominees i kind of like you not quite sure why it's considered science fiction or fantasy i know it's not strictly alt history but it seems more alt history than science fiction and fantasy to me yeah but even then alt history is generally about a divergence in time right. from our history and this is not our right. history these are made up it's like made up country names uh, on on a map um which is yeah it's it's that's it that the the fictional geography is its category on what is that science fiction jeopardy i don't know i just made that up uh yeah, yeah. no i just i didn't I don't, I don't think i have a whole lot to say about it i i didn't love it i didn't i didn't like the characters um i did listen to it i didn't read it so i listened to it from audible um mary robinette cowell cowell reads it and she's amazing and that's i think the only reason i made it through is um, mm. listening to her read it made it palatable but i just i didn't care i i didn't care and i probably would have abandoned it had it not been for the yeah. audiobook version of it it just um yeah and i don't want to read the sequels i maybe i'll read a wikipedia article about them i'll read them if they're nominated <laughs> next year or the sequel if it's nominated next year but i just don't care <laughs> I, I do think it gets better as it goes along, and I think as the kind of machinery of the fascist takeover happens, um, it's it's you know when, once plots kick in, it can be a little more forgiving. Yeah. And I think there's some interesting cases where one of the main characters ends up going back to where they came from the, out in the country that the the thing that they tried to completely avoid ever going back to, and they're forced back there at the end. And uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, I should say, uh, Lara Elena Donnelly has a the clarion background and has had work published in a lot of science fiction magazines and so i think on one level the reason this book is eligible beyond the you know it's got made up countries in it is because it's from somebody this is the science fiction writers association and it's from somebody who is a science fiction writer but um the other reason that i think that it may be popular is that it is uh it has a lot of gay characters in it and they're really well treated and their relationships are good and when i looked at the goodreads reviews i saw a lot of very positive reviews that were very happy that uh that gay characters are um are handled well and that it is a a a good novel for that and it's got it's got uh it's got same-sex romance and it's got you know sort of gender bending performances and things like that and there's a lot of a lot of that in there which is is all to its benefit i just you know in the end that's not enough to make it 
in my opinion, to make it a good book. But I get why people would be happy to see that stuff in this book. And there's no doubt that it's all in there. I just, yeah. in the end, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's got good uh, representation of polyamory, too. And um, one of the main characters is a man of color. Exactly right. I was going to say and, and different races. And, yeah. and absolutely. All that all that stuff is in there. Uh, unfortunately, it's in service of a, of, a, of a book that I didn't particularly like. That's the <laughs> that's the that's the challenge. You can check you can tick all the boxes and not have a good book. Um, Scott, was this a good book for you? Uh, it was not a good book for me. Uh, <laughs> I will say that one of my favorite authors uh, is K.J. Parker, uh, who writes these fantasy books that are set very much like this. They're set in a fantasy world that really the only difference is there are different societies and different country names, and there's no magic, uh, but there are these societies. So I... I that's not my problem with this book. Uh, I'm okay with saying that that's a, this is fantasy, not science fiction, because it's set in a different place with a different society. And but if the society is exactly like the society that was in Europe in the 1920s, is it a different society? Anyway, that's well, my. I don't know that, that's that's where I raise my eyebrow, but it's fine. I don't know if it's exactly like it. But it's very close. Clearly right. influenced. They don't speak German though. So exactly. See, yeah. it's clearly influenced by uh, what Weimar Republic uh, thinks, yeah. but. Um, and that was, that's not the, why I didn't like it. I'm fine with that. Um, I'm fine with all the boxes that it checks with inclusion and diversity and all that stuff. Uh, uh, that makes it sound like I'm not, but I am. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I just I like some of the characters, but I didn't really care about anything that was happening in it, which is a problem when you're reading mm-hmm. a book and you don't really care. Like, I liked the Cyril and I thought he was interesting uh, and I liked his relationship with uh, the, the the cabaret person, um, but I didn't really care about what happened to him. And uh, if I, I think you're interesting, but I don't care what's happening it it doesn't make it a compelling read for me. Uh yeah, there there's there's stuff about it. There's like details, the the stuff. The other thing that bothered me about it in in terms of the writing cuz I think I think the writing was shaky. I think the characters are are clearly drawn and the relationships are clearly drawn, but I think uh some of the writing style just didn't work for me. Uh like I said, I think the opening is very hard to get through. Um where uh she is trying to set up all of these characters and their relationships and it's a mess. I mean, just to be frank about it. Like I almost abandoned it. And uh, our friend Anthony Johnston said, I give everything 100 pages, and then if it's not working for me, I toss it. And I was about 60 pages in at that point. And I said, all right, I'll give it 100 pages. And by the time I got to 100 pages, I kept reading. I was like, all right, it's starting to come together now. But boy... um you know, I wouldn't blame somebody to read the first 50 pages and say, I can't read this book. Also, there's a there's a kind of ridiculous plot twist at the end that made me laugh. And I kind of liked it because of where the story went. But it's it's completely ridiculous. Like a character is saved from being executed because of a perfectly timed explosion and a perfectly incompetent guard. And you know i was like all right well whatever <laughs> like like i thought they were going to take the dark ending with that character and instead the character gets away because of a series of coincidences it's very strange anyway enough uh, i'm glad people like amberlo but uh, i did not like it at all and uh, it was a real struggle to get through and that takes us to six wakes by mer lafferty which is our last of the seven books that we read. Six Wakes is a mystery set on a spaceship that is traveling uh, to another 
uh, star system and there are colonists on board, but uh, characters wake up and they discover that they are they are the clones. This part of the technology here is that you can wake up in a clone body and you remember what you know what you were doing when you were backed up, and then you wake up in the clone body and and you continue with your life. And these clones wake up not remembering anything since they left the left planet Earth, but their bodies aged appropriately for being gone for a couple of generations, or I mean a couple of decades are have been murdered and their dead bodies are in the spaceship and it becomes a murder mystery of who killed us. And because it is the ultimate locked room in that it is a generational spaceship, the, the issue is one of us killed us who did that and why. And that is the mystery of six wakes. Uh, Scott, what'd you think of six wakes? I, uh, when I read it and I finished it, I really liked it. Uh, and I am struggling at this very moment to remember anything that happened in it, though. Uh, well, I mean, th- there great. is. I'll, I'll give you one little prompt, which is, which is, there is very early on. There's this question, like, there's all these questions of like, um, I very, very immediately was like, all right, something is going on here. There, there. I, I started to make a list of the obvious plot twists that were going to happen, and I thought to myself this is going to be a really bad book if I have to go all the way to page 340 of 360 and have the plot twist that I saw coming on page 70. And to this book's credit, those plot twists happen very quickly. Like, it, th- th- like Merle Lafferty knows that the audience is going to figure out that those are the initial plot twists and she gets to them quickly. We also get a lot of flashbacks where we learn who these people were in their previous lives and what led them to be on this ship because there's this idea like who gets selected as the crew who has to stay alive while the colonists go to the other the other planet and there's a story there that actually kind of feeds into what the murder mystery is and so i thought that was pretty good but um but i did have that moment of trepidation where i was like really it's kind of obvious what this twist is it better happen soon and i was very happy that it it happened soon so i didn't get mad at the book yes i remember the that plot twist now uh of you know is is the the plot twist that they're all there was the machinations that uh, conspired to get them on this for a particular reason and uh, yeah, yeah yeah there's a character mm-hmm. that keeps coming up and you realize that yeah. they all met with that character mm-hmm. before they left earth and they and therefore that's part of this plan and then there's this artificial intelligence that seems helpful but then also seems very confused that you know with a three-letter name he's like hal so you're like okay i suspect this artificial intelligence that something is wrong here and uh and so all of that is all of that is going on and, and you know and it's uh yeah and it's a mystery. It is. Who killed us? And now we're back and we have to figure it out. But without knowing any of our, our past, that what what our what we did for twenty years on this ship, because we've lost that. They died, and we for whatever reason we didn't get that put back in ourselves. So we're starting as if we're new here, even though we obviously were here for twenty years. And I like how they all have to figure out like they all know their own secrets obviously and they have to try to figure out if they have told each other and if they all share similar secrets or not um and so i liked that i liked it i like and i i was annoyed by it though because i had and i'm sure lots of people have a similar i i I was thinking of a similar idea for a book that i will never write uh and now i never will because this book exists uh so uh that annoyed me but other than that i like the idea 
And, Sco- and, you stole Scott's imaginary book. That's right. No, well, no. she actually wrote it, so she wins. <laughs> she does. She got there first. That's true. Aline, what would you think of Six Wakes? Hey almost really liked it (laughs) (laughs) so doesn't mean you just liked it (laughs) i guess so um i i liked the way it ended not the way it ended i actually can't remember the way it ended um because it was the first of the books that i read so now i'm struggling to remember like the final couple of chapters um i liked the way it began though because you you're immediately in it and it's like oh there's like a bunch of blood and our dead bodies and what happened. I thought that was great. Um, I really liked, I, I felt like the flashbacks so that we get to know these six characters and how they ended up on the ship. I thought that was really well done. I felt like I got to know the characters and people who listened to me on the incomparable. No, I really like getting to know characters. I like feeling like I, I know who they are. So I appreciated that. I felt like it needed a final proofread. I caught a lot of, Um, kind of redundancies. I caught a lot of typos in it. And that took me out. Usually I can shut down my editor brain when I'm reading. And for whatever reason, there was stuff popping out at me all over the place. And I would go back and I'd be like, wait, did I read that right? Is that word really misspelled? And then I would, you know, Hmm. continue on with the book. And I don't know why in this particular instance that it caught me so frequently because it happens in every book. Um, But that took me out. But I thought I thought it was a good read. I thought the 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 plot was good. Um, her inspiration for writing it was based on FTL, which is a game that I really love to play. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> um, so I, I I thought it was good. I, I thought it, I thought it was. It, I almost really liked it. Um, so I liked it. Okay, okay. So this this um, I thought it was fine. I, I like the murder mystery aspect. I was it was completely readable. I I enjoyed the fact that it did not go down the path that I was hoping it would avoid. That it that it like got the got the twist that were obvious out of the way at the beginning, so you could just move on with the rest of the story and the and the and the core mystery. Um, there there's some interesting the clone the clone thing gives some interesting kind of quirks to the storyline that were good. The AI is a really interesting character that you, you come to discover is a very unexpected uh, character as, as it goes along. Um, all that, all that is fine. I, I have to say, I thought it was fine and a, and a fun read. I was baffled that it got nominated for awards. That's, that's my kind of takeaway is it seemed fine seemed kind of pedestrian like i mean again we should be so lucky as to write a pedestrian science fiction novel that people like and gets mm-hmm. nominated for awards but i did have that moment where i thought to myself is this one of the seven best science fiction and fantasy novels written this year because if so um it's been a disappointing year and i i i, I will tell you i can't believe that it is because um the you know again not that it is bad it's just that i was just baffled given the um even um, even among books i don't like i could write those off but a book that i just am like yeah it's fine why did it get nominated for a bunch of awards it's not kind of revelatory it's just it's just fine it's fun it's okay so that's my review of it is there's nothing wrong with it it's uh it's fun but i i'm baffled about why it would be held up as like a great example of the genre because it's just like fun and that's and there's nothing more to it really than that i agree oh well i don't know damning it with faint praise i am the faintest <laughs> of praise that's really what i've got for it is that is that i i finished and i was like all right 
Like, <laughs> that was it. That was You're it. You're not ready for the sequel, Seven Wakes? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Eight Wakes is when it gets really uh, just bananas. All right. I have to ask you now for the uh, for you your ratings. Uh, I do. I, it's, in, it's in your contracts. What? I didn't read oh, the fine I, print. Of, uh, of how you rate these from, uh, from best to worst. That allows me to compile an average for the show notes of our threes, three opinions. I am going to uh, rank them in the order that I, my own order, and this is not the order yes. that I think is actually going to happen. I don't think that the no, book no. that I pick is going to win because the book, the first book that I am going to list is Spoonbenders, and I am uh-huh. certain it is not going to win. Uh, but... There you go. I enjoyed it the most. Uh, and I enjoyed it slightly more than The Stone Sky, only because it was not the third book in a trilogy and not the third third of a story. Uh, and so The Stone Sky comes in at number two. Uh, number three is The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter, which was a surprise for me because I did not reading what the book was about it checks a lot of boxes that i would like but i didn't think i would like it as much as i did uh so mm-hmm. good job theodore goss uh continuing that trend of books i liked more than i thought i would based on reading about them jade city comes in at number four uh number five is six wakes just because i had the same idea and she wrote it and i found it <laughs> i still think it's a good idea and i thought she did it well uh autonomous comes in uh as at six because even though i thought it screamed contemporary science fiction it was contemporary <laughs> science fiction written competently uh so good job there and last and uh, unfortunately least uh amberlo which just didn't work for me um i think it's an interesting idea had some good characters but overall it left me cold yep Aline, what about you? very similar to scott so i'm gonna say the stone sky of course is my number one uh, followed by The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter, uh, then Jade City. Uh, then where do I go from here? I think I have to go Six Wakes next. Um, mm-hmm. And then Spoonbenders, and then Autonomous, and then Amberlow, because it, it was just a slog for me. It was a slog for me. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's okay. So that's my order. Here's my list. I put... Um, Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter, number one. That was my favorite. It really was. I loved it. The Stone Sky, second. Spoonbenders, third. Jade City, fourth. Somewhere in there, Autonomous, fifth. And I think I would draw the line there of, of these are books that are, 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 uh, great to really good. Six Wakes is sixth and it's fine, like I said. And like both of you, Amber Lowe, mm-mm. Sorry, uh, didn't like it. No. So uh, in the end, you, you can check the the uh, summary in the show notes. But basically, the Stone Sky was the one that we liked the most, and the, and followed close behind by the Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter, and then uh, Spoonbenders, Jade City, and uh, pretty consistent Six Wakes and Autonomous and Amberlow down there toward the bottom. So, although I think that Amberlow, even though it was not for me and I was not interested in that at all. I think that there is clearly a big segment of people that will really like it. So clearly, uh, if you if you read if, from what you've heard us talk about it, if, if it piques your interest, you should read it because uh, or at least read the first hundred pages and see if you like it. 
And just again, from that representation standpoint, it is really, really good, especially from, you know, the, the same gender relationships, the polyamorous relationships and having people of color represented and not in a negative stereotypical way. It's awesome on all of those counts. Yeah, I agree. Um, it, the issues are uh, not about any of that. That's all really good. And I can understand why people would be really excited about how good a job it does with all of that. Um, I was thinking back to last year's um, last year's novels list. And I will say that and they, and they nominated five for the Nebula last year. And I will say um, Amber Lowe, I liked better than two of the five last year. <laughs> so when we say it's our least favorite and it was our consensus least favorite, not only are there are there things about it that are positive, but I didn't hate it like I hated the book that won the Nebula Award last year. Yeah. <laughs> so I I would say that yeah. I, I I found it a hard read and I didn't I didn't ever really like it even though there there are positive things I could say about it and I have very little positive to say about last year's winner. So of course that means Amber Lowe will win. No, probably not. <laughs> it will probably be. I have I have two thoughts here. One is. Um, uh, that it could be if they follow uh, last year's route, they could give it to Annalie Newitz because a similar thing of a well-known writer in the genre who's now got this novel and has some momentum and the, 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 the voters know her from her work, even if it's not from her work as a novelist. I could also see them uh, giving an award to Merle Lafferty because she has been very prominent in the science fiction community. And I think that's one of the things that bubbles up here in these nominations. But uh, I, I'm shocked that, you know, N.K. Jemison didn't win last year, though. So go figure. What do I know? Maybe maybe this time, maybe it'll be a surprise. Who knows? Well, maybe you know if you're listening after they're announced, but that's we right. don't know. We don't. Anyway, I was happy, you know, I was happy I read these books and I only struggled with one of them. And I feel like after the last couple of years where there have been a bunch of books that I've struggled with, I was I was happy that this crop was as good as it was. I, I mean, I, I I don't know about you two, but as excited as I get to make these discoveries, like I was reading Strange Case of the Alchemist Don and I was like, oh, he, it happened. This is the thing that I love when a book <laughs> that I don't expect. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I love this book. How did that happen? Right. That's so great. The The downside is there are those books that you're like, oh, no, this is not. No, no. And <laughs> I was happy. I did not have as much of that as I have had in in years past. Yeah, and and those lower books help you appreciate the awesome books. So that's true. It takes all kinds. <laughs> so you got to have a dynamic range of books mm-hmm. from from great to, to to not so great. Yes, and I this time for this this slate of Nebula nominees, I can understand why they were all nominated. Whereas last year, I had trouble with two of their nominations. So right, uh, even if I didn't like all seven of these, which I did not, um, I I understood why they were nominated. I still don't understand why Six Wakes got nominated. Maybe <laughs> you can explain you, that to me. You are dead inside, Jason. <laughs> I, guess, I guess. It's okay. When I'm cloned, I won't remember any of this. That's right. So, so it'll, all, it'll all work out. Well, I feel it was it was the most science, like classic sci-fi kind of it's thing. It's true. So. It's true. That's true. It did have that going for it. It, it was an example of the genre. <laughs> <laughs> More of that fake what praise. What an endorsement. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you both for joining me in this adventure of reading seven books how about that hmm. the good news is we've read a lot of the hugo nominees already Woo-hoo. so yeah so we got we we're most of the we're way ahead. there that's yeah. that's good yeah we we, we, we got it 
Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, we'll wrap it up then until we return in about a month, I think, to talk about the Hugo nominees. Uh, but until then, I want to thank my guest, Aline Sims. Thank you so much for being here and reading all seven books. I love book club episodes. You get a gold star. Yay. You get, you get the, you won the readathon. Congratulations. <gasps> did, did the class get a pizza party? <gasps> yes, it oh, did. Sweet. I ate all the pizza, though. Sorry oh. about that. Uh, Scott McNulty, you always win the readathon, but you won it again. Thank you. Woohoo! Uh, I look forward to discussing uh, how I vaguely remember the Hugo-nominated novels soon. <laughs> I look forward to that, too. And because you got the gold star, you also get this temporary tattoo of oh. a book. Of a book? So you can put that <laughs> what on your arm it? and see, like, look at me, I'm tough, I got a tattoo of a book. It's just a generic book. It's like a brown leather cover. Oh, okay. You can, it could be any book you want it to be. Just when somebody asks, you make up a book and then tell them when they ask what book it is. It's the book of your life, and it's very yeah. short. Ooh. <gasps> That's terrifying. And on that terrifying note, I want to thank everybody out there for listening. I've been your host, Jason Snell. We will see you next week. Goodbye. 